Hi again. So I will be reading the scripture that Andrew will be preaching from this morning, and it is Romans chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Great Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Impenitus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Impliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet th those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Perses who had worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sopatar, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Meg, thank you for that spectacularly good reading.
She just found out she was reading that. I had practiced it a number of times. It did not go well. Um, hi, I'm Andrew Sharp. I'm an elder here. And from time to time, it's my great privilege to preach. And this morning is one of those times. Paul's letter to the Romans is arguably one of the most profound expressions of Christian theology ever written. In his writing to the Roman church, Paul discusses weighty topics like the effect of sin, God's grace, and how we as believers are justified by that grace. He talks about how being in Christ results in death to sin and freedom in Christ talks about the spiritual life of a Christ follower and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And along the way, Paul confesses his own struggle to walk in obedience to the Lord. The book of Romans influences our present-day understanding of the with God life maybe more than any other writing. So how does Paul choose to close this dense and lengthy expression of theology. With a chapter largely devoted to a shout out to his friends and co-laborers in Christ. Before we plunge in, let's remind ourselves who Paul was. He was a highly intelligent, highly educated Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he had a keen devotion to the Jewish law. Prior to his conversion, he spearheaded the persecution of the early church. And then he had his come to Jesus moment. Jesus appears to him and asks him, why do you persecute me? It is hard to kick against the goads. That that has always been sort of one of my favorite parts of what Jesus has said because it's, it's gentle, but it's a little bit snarky in its way. A goad was a tool used to control stubborn animals. It had a long rod with a sharp end, and it was used to kind of poke the animal to move in a direction or a different direction, and kicking against the goads inflicted pain on the animal from kicking. And it was basically a futile action. So basically, Paul is, or Jesus is telling Paul, why are you persecuting the church? It's pointless. You're kind of being stubborn like an ox, and you're only hurting yourself. And it's from this encounter that Paul completely reassesses his life and does a complete 180, he goes from being the persecutor of Christians to one who was himself persecuted for his devotion to Christ. Paul can be described as a genius, and as such he could be impatient and irritable with others who couldn't keep up with him. He had strong opinions, and at times he had sharp disagreements with people. He was also emotional and affectionate towards the early churches he wrote to, and we see that in his letter to the Romans. 
Romans 16 contains four sections. We have his greeting to specific people in Rome, a quick and urgent warning about the danger of false teachers and those acting in self-interest, gives a greeting from those who are with him in Corinth, and a final hymn of praise to God called a doxology. And while the chapter is indeed deeply personal and affectionate, at the time he wrote this letter, Paul had not yet visited the church at Rome. Now, maybe you're thinking, with all the wonderful theology in Romans, why preach a sermon that is largely based on a chapter with a list of people we know little or nothing about? The short answer is, Matt asked me to preach on it. <laughs> and with, with a lot of sermons, I, Matt always tells me I'd like you to preach on whatever. And it's rarely something I would ever pick. Because to me, this is the kind of chapter that I would sort of breeze through, you know, like, like the genealogies. But Romans 16 gives us a glimpse into the people who comprised this early church. There are 29 people mentioned either by name or family relation. Of that number, 12 are greeted in the context of their particular roles, and of those 12, seven are women. We have Phoebe, who's a leader, a patron, a minister, and representative of the church at Senkrai. She delivered Paul's letter, not greeted, well, she wasn't greeted, she was introduced. She has a Greek name, probably meaning she was a Gentile pagan convert. We have Priscilla, a house church leader and a fellow laborer in Christ. She was married to Achilla. We have Junia, an apostle. Junia and her husband Andronicus were a missionary couple who had been persecuted for their faith. They had been Christians longer than Paul, and perhaps they were even disciples when Jesus was alive. And we have Mary, Tryphena, Tryphonsa, and Persis, who were told worked hard in the Lord. And there are at least three other women who are greeted in general terms. So what, what is the significance of mentioning all these women? I think sometimes we may have a tendency to think of the early church as male-dominated, maybe because Jesus' disciples were all male. But you can pretty well see in this letter that Paul recognizes the vital role of women in the life and leadership of the Roman church. And he clearly valued and appreciated their contributions and sacrifices on a par with the men he mentions. Also on the list, there were people who were probably slaves and some others who were probably freed slaves. All are equal in Christ. Another takeaway, and this is probably a pretty obvious one, was the life of the Roman church was hard. Among the people listed are those who had been imprisoned and persecuted and in danger. Rome could not have been a 
welcoming environment for a fledgling church that proclaimed someone to be Lord who wasn't named Caesar. The people in the, Ro- in the Roman church, clearly they signed on for something that was not going to be easy. It was a life that would never be easy. And it humbles me to think of their mindset, sort of knowing full well what they were getting into and how convinced they must have been that Jesus was Lord and that through his life, his ministry, his resurrection, everything had changed. So after that warm greeting, we come to verses 17 and 18 where Paul warns about those who will create divisions within the church, acting in their own self-interests and using smooth and flattering talk to deceive the naive. We don't know who Paul is referring to. And it may well be that he's talking purely about false doctrine because the, the New Testament is full of warnings about false teachers. But the translation I read mentions self-interest. And I think considering the extent to which self-interest affects our service to the Lord, as in individually, I think that's, that's pretty important. I mean, we may be called to this or that ministry, but when we start thinking as individuals that we own it, I think we get into problems. Um, I, I've been involved in various aspects of men's ministry here at the barn. Gosh, I think it's over 20 years now. And I, I, I've always really tried to not think of it as sort of like my sphere of influence. Um, that there's some sort of entitlement to it. Um, hopefully service is selfless. And I think when we need to get something out of it, other than the joy of just serving or of helping someone, it becomes problematic. If we say someone was enthusiastic about ministering to the poor and worked tirelessly to help people with limited resources, that would be amazing and awesome. But if the satisfaction that person derived was from being recognized for doing that, then the service strays into sort of ownership of a role or a title or a status. So I think every church and every church member needs to be kind of vigilant in that regard. And I I don't think that's a problem here. Um, The people I have served with have invariably been very humble and humbled by serving. After concluding this paragraph of warning, Paul returns to pleasantries. We go from, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, to, Timothy says hi. (laughs) Also Lucius, Jason, Sassipater, Tertius, who wrote the letter, Gaius, Erastus, and Quartus. 
I was reading through this and I was thinking, were these guys sort of like hanging around Tertius as he was writing it to make sure that they were mentioned? It's easy to picture that. I'll tell you, you know, one, one other thing that, that I couldn't help also to think about when I read through this is what if, what if that letter was being written to our church? And what if I had not been mentioned? I mean, it would bother me to some degree, and it bothers me that it would bother me. But that's my own issue. The letter ends with a doxology, which is a word I have never heard used outside of a church context. And I had to look up what it meant. Because we, we, we use it almost every week here. We sing the doxology. And it is really simply an expression of praise to God, sometimes written, but often a short hymn sung as part of a Christian worship service. So when we say the doxology, there really isn't the doxology, but what we sing is an example of a doxology. And the concept of doxology comes from the Jewish tradition where certain parts of a worship service were concluded with some version of the Kaddish, an ancient prayer of praise and thanksgiving. So it's probably not surprising that Paul, a former Pharisee, included it. So looking at Romans 16, I, I really couldn't help but imagine what a similar letter to our church would look like. Who would be mentioned for their labors and their sacrifices and their leadership? I dare say many people might be mentioned. The culture of the barn is one of participation and collaborative work. We strive to glorify God and proclaim the good news of Jesus, and it isn't the job of a select and exhausted few. It's a mission we all share and support. This involves furthering the ministries here, faithful presence, maintenance of the property, ministering to children, the work of the deacons, and supporting the church financially. Without a degree of participation, then church attendance is really just reduced to being a consumer. And that's challenging because we live in a culture that encourages us to have the mindset of a consumer. We are steeped in it. We learn it from an early age. But that mindset is inconsistent. 
with being a part of a healthy church, and it's certainly not something we see in the early Roman church. Participation and investment were essential there, just as they are here at the barn. Sometimes you'll hear people say something like, I believe in God, or I'm spiritual, but I don't believe in organized religion. Have you ever heard anyone say anything kind of like that? I have a few times. I shudder to think what disorganized religion would look like. I mean, to me, it's a contradiction in terms. How little would be accomplished if we were all confined to our own individual notions of building God's kingdom or spirituality. Gosh, I can't even say it. It takes a church and it takes the fellowship we find at church to grow as followers of Christ and to change the community around us. Proverbs 27:17 says, iron sharpens iron. You may have heard that. It means that in relationship with other believers, we grow stronger. And it's true. A lump of iron never sharpened itself. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get an amen? All right. I always wanted to say that in a sermon, and I just... Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us all together as a church community for a time to worship together in your house, to share fellowship, to deepen our understanding of your work in our life. Help our connectivity. Help unite us, help and strengthen our sense of mission and work. If you don't build the house, the laborers work in vain. Amen.